Welcome to the AR Show, where I dive deep into augmented reality with a focus on the technology and uses of smart glasses and the people behind them. I'm your host, Jason McDowell. Today's conversation is with Casper Tikier. Casper is the co-founder and CEO of Zapar, an AR platform and creative studio on a mission to democratize AR and MR. Casper and the Zapar team have been vanguards in the AR industry for the last decade. Prior to founding Zapar, Casper spent 15 years as an account director and managing director of major advertising agencies, including one where he was a founding partner. More recently, he was the chief operating officer at Freud's, a public relations and communications agency. In this conversation, we talk about the role Zapar has played in the evolution of the industry since its founding in 2011. He talks about some of the challenges the industry has faced by being overly hyped and overly infatuated with technology and innovation. Casper describes some of the experiences they've created at Zapar for the world's biggest brands and how he views the potential of AR. First and foremost, it's AR as a camera function. You know, it does provide this new lens for, you know, for digital discovery. Uh, and that can be for moments of surprise and delight and marketing activation, um, and importantly, to inform and instruct users and sales teams and internal staff. But the big revelation and market opportunity is about turning passive products and packaging and print into almost your most valuable always-on media channel. And if you think of it through that lens and you just try and break it down rather than getting too carried away with the technology, it's incredible what, what it can achieve. He goes on to discuss his five C's for AR success and where he sees Zappar's role in the industry moving forward. As a reminder, you can find the show notes for this and other episodes at our website, thearshow.com. Let's dive in. Casper, what happened on your flight from London to Hong Kong? <laughs> well, so so this was around um, it was around the summer of I think nineteen ninety eight or so, and, and so um, I was on my way to Hong Kong with a colleague who was also at the ad agency I, I was at, which is called Abbott Mead Vickers, um, part of the BBDO Group. And around that time, actually, it turns out that um, the Russian financial crisis was going on, um, sort of slightly unbeknownst to us in the background. Uh, and that basically meant that the, the Russian government and the Russian central bank, you know, were devaluing the ruble and, and defaulting on their on their debt. Anyway, we weren't planning on stopping in Russia um, on this trip over to, to Hong Kong. Uh, but as it turns out, as we kind of entered into Russian airspace, unfortunately, one of the passengers on the plane uh, was suffering from a, a heart attack. So the you know the captain came over and said, "Look, I'm afraid we're going to have to uh, redirect and um, make a, a stop off in St. Petersburg." So he thought, "Gosh, fine. I hope the, the gentleman's okay." But on landing and, and safely getting um, you know this chap off off the flight, there was then a really quite long delay. You know, then after maybe about an hour or so, the captain came over the loudspeaking gate and said, "Look, really sorry to say this, but um, we somehow need to raise." $10,000 in order to now clear, be clear for takeoff. Has anyone got any money on them? <laughs> so it was this bizarre situation. We were slightly being held to ransom by the um, ground control, you know, in Russia and St. Petersburg uh, in order to be able to make the trip to Hong Kong. And it must have, it felt like another couple of hours um, sort of ensued and mini drinks from the drinks trolley later. We were indeed cleared for takeoff. Somehow they managed to do a whip round and uh, and raise the money to to, to get us out to St. Petersburg and, and off to Hong Kong. So they were uh, literally always, out there passing the hat. 
Look, I want to know who had that much, you know, just cash on them, you know, good on them. <laughs> well, someone did some very good negotiating. Uh, so we, we then sort of made the, the next leg off to Hong Kong. And, and I just really clearly remember as we got off the plane, you know, and, and as we landed again, the captain came on and said, look, thank you so much, everyone, for your patience. You know, obviously that was very unexpected. And, you know, as a token of, uh, you know, a goodwill gesture for, for everyone, you know, please um, accept this reward as you leave the plane. And we're like, oh, that's great. I mean, maybe we'll get some air miles or some other trip or whatever. And instead, what we got was a small figurine of the plane that we had all <laughs> been on, which seemed like a very strange memento to receive, uh, kind of having arrived. But I think, you know, the, the interesting thing for me about that, that, that story is that um, I remember a, a really fantastic boss uh, that I had back at the time had always said of the recruitment process, you know, and, and when you hire new talent is, you know, one of the key criteria is, is, would you like to sit next to that person on a, on a long haul flight? You know, and if the answer is yes, then, then that's a good start. Uh, and I think that was very true of that trip. I, I was going over with actually my boss at the time. Uh, and, and actually, we, you know, despite all the delays, uh, we didn't end up uh, killing each other <laughs> over that period. Actually, had a great time. So yes, uh, that hasn't uh, happened for since, luckily. It's so, so much uh, intrigue, I guess, in that story, so many interesting aspects. But as it relates to that piece of advice, there's no better realistic experience that kind of embodies what that really means than, than what you went yes. through in that regard. Yeah, no, indeed. <laughs> it was an un- unexpected that that uh, theory would be put into, you know, such clear practice. <laughs> It'd be such a phenomenally intriguing way to interview people if you orchestrated some sort of equivalent scenario where you get stuck with a candidate <laughs> for some extended period of time and see whether they crack under the pressure and, and who they really <laughs> see are. What happens. Yeah. yeah, correct. Very cool. <laughs> so you noted that at that time you were in an ad agency, a BBDO subsidiary mm. at the time. That's right. Yes. And uh, and from there you went on to do another advertising agency. I think you were there, the founding partner and then the managing director of an ad company. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. How did all of that advertising-related experience lead you to found Zapper? Ah, well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess, well, I guess the thing is that these things are never preordained, really, are they? They, they? they tend to sort of one thing lead to another and, and kind of that trinity of, of, of a bit of hard work, luck and timing, you know, makes it all sort of come true. So, so as you say, yeah, I've sort of been in advertising for, I guess, around 10 years um, from the mid-90s into the noughties and increasingly really enjoyed the business of, of, of being involved in running an agency and, and, and exploring the power of brands and communication. And I guess the different opportunities that different channels exploded um, with the advent of, of online, et cetera. And I guess as that ad landscape evolved and, and moved into digital and greater importance on things like social, you know, and how you manage messaging, it was always going to be interesting to explore new frontiers. And, and so one of the first things of that, you know, post sort of the advertising piece was, a stint actually at a a PR firm called Freud Communications, where I was COO. And that was interesting because that was all about the move from sort of brand image to brand reputation and and increasingly sort of users took center stage in controlling a brand standing versus those carefully crafted plans from ad agencies. And from that, I somehow kind of um, fell into the the world of gaming um, and the sort of the advent of virtual worlds um, with, with PlayStation Home and started a business um, with actually another founder of, of Zappa called um, Kirk Ewing, who comes from the sort of games background. And again, that was interesting because that was about, you know, you know, what could brands mean in the sort of the virtual space and how do they, um, how do you talk to a classically hard to reach but important sort of millennial audience? Uh, and I guess in many ways, PlayStation Home back then was uh, a bit of a precursor for what we now see with Fortnite and kind of the rise of customized avatars and uh, et cetera. But that's a, a different story. 
And I guess that interest in sort of then the digital landscape and, and uh, sort, of, uh, sort of console and virtual worlds sort of led into some, some conversations around the opportunities for, for AR. Um, and I guess the advent of AR being applicable on mobile then drove us to kind of explore that a bit more. And so, do you know what I mean? I, I don't think you could draw a specifically straight line in how it ended up in AR, but I guess it was that constant interest in, you know, how brands communicate, what channels they use to communicate, and, and that eventually led to sort of mobile and augmented reality. And what was happening in the market at that time? Kind of lay the groundwork for the other technologies, the sorts of opportunities that you saw that AR might be a good fit for at that point? Yeah, I mean... I guess, frankly, there was very little at the time. I mean, it really was quite quite early on because I guess this was sort of 2009, 2010. And, and you know, so you did have you know, some really good players like Mateo and, and indeed Leo were around then, kind of Orasma and, and, and Blipper came along kind of soon after us. So I guess it was less about really at that stage for us about, about the right time, more about the right people and the future possibility of AR. So I guess nothing particularly was happening in the market on mobile AR really but, you know, Kirk and I, through, I guess, the, the work that we were doing with um, our company, Vimi and, and PlayStation Home, had, had looked at lots of stuff that was around sort of virtual apparel. And we sort of had this notion of, well, I wonder what that looks like on real apparel with AR. And we sort of approached the Department of Informatics in, in Edinburgh um, to understand, you know, whether that was possible, you know, how long would that take to kind of look at and evaluate and you know, the response came back that it might be possible, but it would probably take 12 to 18 months to look at that as a sort of research project and, you know, cost a tidy seven figure for some to do it. So we were a bit like, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> but then we were l- lucky enough, you know, uh, to, to bump into Simon and Connell. So Simon Taylor and, and Connell Gold, the other two founders of, of Zappa who had already been kind of uh, working away at this, you know, Simon on his sort of PhD on fast image recognition on, on, on small objects in the camera view and all kind of whilst at the University of Cambridge. And we, by happenstance, ended up in this kind of quite grotty pub in East London with them in, I guess, mid-2010. And if you think back then, even when we incorporated a year later in March 2011, you know, we're talking about working with the iPhone, you know, sort of 3GS and, you know, sort of slightly older uh, devices, really. And I guess what really excited us was that future possibility of AR at that time and, and that point where it's untethered from desktop computers and, and was on mobile and the prospect of spatial storytelling and that connection between print products, places, faces with AR uh, and mobile was just kind of so enticing. But even then, I guess we, we really knew we were very early um, and this was absolutely going to be a marathon and not a sprint because we'd had to educate and create an entire market. But I guess we saw that opportunity to democratize the technology that had been around in universities for so long, but um, and, and look to capture value in its application for both businesses and end users. Um, and I guess that, that idea of democratization of AR and making the world scannable has really been at the core of our brand promise and purpose and culture, I guess, ever since and sort of drive what we did. You came into this with eyes pretty wide open, like you had a pretty good sense of how nascent the technology was, you yeah. had a vision for how impactful it could be, and you were trying to find a diligent approach that meshed what you had done in the past, which is really working with brands and telling the stories of brands and helping them build the awareness and the story around their brands, and marrying that with the current state of the art. And throughout that kind of history, as you know, your, your goal was to democratize the access, to make everything scannable. 
how is it that the technology kind of in the industry changed that was kind of relevant to your efforts? And how is it that you participated in maybe pushing that forward yourself? Yeah, and that, well, and I guess that's, you know, was a big and interesting question, you know, which, which I guess takes in the, the, the sort of the last decade of, of, of work that we've done in this space. And I guess the way I describe it is that sort of over that period, really sort of everything has changed and to a degree, nothing has changed. Um, and I guess what I'm, I mean by that, 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 that clearly in the last decade, kind of the mobile phone has become, as I said before, this sort of evolutionary appendage that we can't live without, uh, as everyone knows, you know, all too well. And the advances in network connectivity and processing power and battery life and, and cameras, clearly along with more affordable smartphones and data plans, you know, has meant that now, you know, you've got this sort of penetration of, I guess it's almost sort of 3 billion, I think it's 2.7 billion people on, on the planet who now own one of these devices capable of, of delivering AR. Uh, and if you listen to sort of Mary Meeker's kind of digital roundup reports, we're spending on average 3.7 hours a day now on our mobile devices, which is a scary thing, you know, kind of almost half of our total screen time. And, you know, that may be frightening, but it's the reality of the world we live in. Um, and, and we do increasingly live this life through a lens. So so you kind of look at all that, you know, how much the, the, guess the hardware and software has taken off over the last 10 years. And indeed, the, the explosion of activity in the main apps that have come to dominate our everyday lives. I mean, you, you kind of look at the roll call of, of sort of WhatsApp and Instagram and Uber and WeChat and Line and Snapchat and all these things, you know, they all happened in that last decade. I mean, it feels crazy and, and it's still happening with, you know, TikTok's arrival, etc. Uh, and by the way, these make people like Twitter and Facebook who came along, I guess, in sort of 2004, five, six, you know, seem positively old in comparison, <laughs> you know, so I guess everything has changed because of mobile devices. You know, that, that there's no more important kind of personal device in, in human history, really. I'd sort of, I'd say that has, has changed the way we live, communicate, socialize, shop, travel, work, you know, all that good stuff. But then when it comes to AR, VR and, 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 and MR, you know, there have been some pretty big announcements and pronouncements, you know, from Google and Apple and Magic Leap and others, and some incredible and sort of fanciful figures about the size of the market that you get from people like... I guess Gartner and Forrester, et cetera, et cetera, uh, over the last uh, decade as well. And, and I guess what we're seeing is that we've seen a lot of companies that have come and gone through either sort of acquisition or administration in that period, you know, um, in the space that we're in, seen the hype curve and sort of clickbait of XR, you know, almost be its own worst enemy in keeping users and, and businesses in this constant state of confusion about what spatial computing can do and what it is and on what devices. And creating then that usual sort of cycle of slightly over-promising and under-delivering. And, and I guess for their part, VCs have then kind of funded and fueled that hype cycle with overextended valuations, you know, uh, forcing this kind of business sort of Harry Kerry, if you like, um, in search of the moonshot ideas and the, and the promise of the future. So, so that's why I kind of go, you know, everything's changed in, in terms of technology, but clearly nothing has changed in that we're still getting drawn in by technology and innovation for innovation's sake rather than looking to understand the true end user benefit and the real life value proposition. So I guess that's why I come back to that thing of talking about it as being a marathon and not a sprint. You know, I guess our mission from day one has been, you know, this idea of democratization for the mass market and capturing value with this facilitating technology um, for, for brands and businesses and end users. And I guess, you know, that is about taking a slightly more long-term approach and, and, and celebrating what the technology can do now. And, and, you know, first and foremost, it's AR as a camera function. You know, it does provide this new lens for, you know, for digital discovery. 
Uh, and that can be for moments of surprise and delight in marketing activation, um, and importantly, to inform and instruct users and sales teams and internal staff. But the big revelation and market opportunity is about turning passive products and packaging and print into almost your most valuable always-on media channel. And if you think of it through that lens and you just try and break it down rather than getting too carried away with the technology, it's incredible what, what it can achieve. Yeah, it's been fun to watch over the last several iterations of the smartphone across both Google and Apple and others that the, the camera and the camera experience has been such a primary focus of innovation, even, even independent of AR, just how do we make that camera experience better in better lenses, uh, better software to modify those pictures for whatever the utility might be. But also there's certainly an element of incorporating some understanding of the space, the 3D space that's behind the camera, also that's kind of bubbling into that, right? We have the facial recognition on some of these camera, front-facing cameras that throw out a little field of IR to kind of help map the structure of your face. And there's anticipation we have more of that sort of 3D capture capability on the backside of the phones here, maybe another iteration or two. There's so much innovation that's happening there around the camera as the primary input, as a key input from that phone. And as you kind of have gone through your own explorations and innovations as it relates to the sort of things that you're kind of doing here, this idea of turning the static product or the packaging into a media channel, creating these moments of surprise and delight. How does kind of the your focus of innovation on the technology side, like how do you focus that? What have you done there? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, gosh, well, a lot over the years, I guess. I think at the heart of our focus really has been with this notion of democratization uh, sort of front and center. It's always been then, well, if that's true, and if we want to put these tools in the hands of the people, so that's not just us that are making the experiences, well, then you have to start going, how do you create the sort of the, the content publishing and authoring platform for the next generation of, of developers and designers? Um, and how do you then accommodate people that might actually come be more design-led and have no coding experience and what does that look like for them versus those who are you know really you know quite um, experienced coders and developers and and also create a, the right tools for, for for that cohort so i i guess that becomes actually quite a challenging mission because you've got you know two very different types of audiences using the tools and also how do we ensure that we can allow people to create content well and once, but publish, you know, to many, you know, um, uh, certainly across iOS and Android. And, you know, when you have, you know, great new underlying technology like ARKit and Core, you know, how do we actually, you know, incorporate those things, but again, sort of uh, deliver a, a seamless experience to create content that then can work with these different systems and sort of fill in the gaps, if you like. And so I guess our, you know, our focus has always been around that sort of that roadmap of well, what are the right sort of scanning and, and detection algorithms uh, that are required across code tracking and image tracking and face tracking, and world tracking, et cetera. And, and how do we build a tool on top of that that can allow for all those things, you know, with a, you know, a CMS and an analytics platform that you can then uh, see in real time. And so there are lots of, I guess, layers to that AR onion and ecosystem. Uh, so we've always tried to go, well, how do we, how do we try and deliver that within what devices are capable of. Um, and now, you know, with the advent of mobile web AR, what browsers are capable of too, to make that experience um, as good as it can be for, for any designers and developers who want to, to build AR content. Yeah, making it easy. 
trying to solve that friction point. Yeah. But you're right, and, and it is broad and it is challenging because of you know the amount of devices and uh, the sort of you know kind of different cameras and all that good stuff. It's certainly you know not an easy challenge, and and maybe maybe you know some might say that sounds unfocused. You know, why didn't we just just focus on kind of I don't know face tracking and you know creating nice face filters, etc. I guess it was because the the, the long term ambition has always been a bit broader, and and actually the context and the types of content that you might want to make as a single organisation could be incredibly broad. Whether that is for marketing, you know, consumer marketing use cases, or enterprise use cases, or you know, learning and development use cases, they require very different types of experience. But you still would like to be handy to have one tool that could kind of do it all. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you guys make a Zapbox, which is like this product that was similar to Google Cardboard <laughs> for AR? We did indeed. Yeah. What was the goal there, and what did you learn from that one? That's right. Yeah, Zapbox is a is an ongoing project. So yes, you know, again, it does tie back into that vision of democratization, um, and but it comes out of you know, uh, I guess the really amazing work that we were seeing that Microsoft were doing with with Hololens, and and then you know, Magic Leap sort of big announcements uh, came along, and and you know, we were always really interested in the idea of I guess this sort of larger scale kind of room scale AR, if you like, um, that was more head mounted and, you know, sort of with controllers and sixed off and all this other great stuff. But, you know, we always struggled with that price point um, in terms of that then being a mass market product. So um, we thought, well, hang on, why don't we have a go at affectionately internally, we talked about, you know, making Magic Leap Magic Cheap. And how do we make an affordable version of uh, mixed reality really for, again, for in the first instance, developers, designers, hobbyists that make a community to experiment with in a way that could be sort of quick and easy because again we're still writing the rules of how you create great sort of spatial storytelling and spatial computing um so we did a kickstarter and and, you know zapbox effectively is a a sort of re-engineered google cardboard but with the front scooped out so we can access the other camera then comes with uh, a wide angle lens that we sourced that then gives the bigger field of vision that you can place over the camera view two cardboard controllers that uh, uh, also have a sort of secondary input um, that you can use and again, uh, track in the camera view, largely because this was both before AR kit and uh, AR core and because we need a different tracking solution with a fisheye lens over the camera. We had we created these things called point codes, which allowed us to then map a space, be it a table or a floor or a wall and create these sort of larger than life experiences and all for $30. And so, yeah, we, we, we had a Kickstarter, which was um, sort of oversubscribed, which was great. Um, uh, and we made this, uh, it was almost like a shoe size box, I guess, that it came in. That was Zapbox version one. I have to say, my, that was a point because none of us in the team here have ever made any real kind of hardware or, you know, sold a consumer product, frankly, that, that we had to make and manufacture. And I have a absolute newfound respect for any business that does that. <laughs> Because it is, uh, it is quite an exercise. And one of the things we learned is it's great that it's a thirty dollar product, but actually at shoebox size, if you need to ship it, well, it's about the same again. <laughs> so, one of the things that we did with version two was create, you know, the IKEA version, the sort of flat version, yeah. exactly. That uh, then was uh, much easier and much more affordable to ship. Similar sort of uh, software for it. And actually, now um, and, and this year, but without giving too much away, we, we're kind of completely reimagined um, Zapbox for, for version three, which will sort of be coming out towards the end of this year. That is, a, you know, hopefully very much in that price point, but just imagine us kind of redesigning absolutely every aspect of, of it, which is super exciting. 
and uh, we're kind of in that stage of you know speaking to uh, uh, sort of manufacturers about it at the moment. So yeah, is the target audience there? the creators so that they can better imagine, visualize, and iterate on AR-related creations? Or is it meant for the end users to be able to do the sort of discovery and have the experiences that you imagine? Well, it's definitely, I think, it's got developer community in mind. You know, at the moment, that content is made again in, in Zapworks and Zapworks Studio, our, our, our authoring, authoring tool. But, you know, you know, there are some plans afoot to open that up a bit for, for, for developers um, in order to make you know, content that might be using other tools that they, they currently use without giving too much away. And there is, you know, a, always been a very interesting opportunity um, within education where there's a, a huge amount of kind of almost pent up demand for that kind of um, equipment, but it needs to be a, a price point that, that they can afford, which you know, is is challenging if you're talking about the only other real, you know, competitors on the market being Microsoft HoloLens and, and, and something like Magic Leap. So I guess we've, we've tried to go, how do you create that mass market product that could fit in there? The other area that, that is very interesting for is actually conferences and events, you know, because again, it is something that can visually um, show, say, large-scale equipment or, or create a level of interaction around uh, new product showcases that can be done in a, an affordable and collapsible and easy-to-move manner. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so as you engage with these brands themselves, what is it that they are looking to incorporate with regards to AR? What are they trying to accomplish? They, they turn to AR within the mix. They've got a bunch of different options, a bunch of different channels to pursue. How does AR fit? I guess it's quite a broad range. I mean, I guess AR historically has been great for driving frequency. You know, what, one of the things we know, you know, from from kind of uh, neuroscience research that we've undertaken with partners is it's incredibly good at sort of active learning through doing and, and a, a high degree of visual attention and, and memory recall. So that sort of, it really ticks a frequency box. But with mobile web AR, for instance, that can also begin to help with, with reach because of its large sort of distribution just over the browser. But the reality is, you know, the role of AR is different for different sectors and different opportunities. So in marketing, you know, it's being used as part of, say, through the line campaigns to increase engagement for, say, what we've done with, say, Fanta in Europe. In retail, it's been used to support store promotions, whether that's here in the UK with people like Asda and Tesco's or Walmart in the US or Woolworths in Australia, whatever it might be. And indeed, a more enlightened approach has been taken by, by you know, retailers like um, Tilly's in the US and 7-Eleven, where it's about reimagining what loyalty means and, and how you create a sort of 365, 24-7 camera strategy to increase uh, taps, trips, and transactions, if you like, sort of downloads, store visits, and, uh, and incremental sales um, throughout the year. But then if you move, to, say, to Toys and Games for Hasbro and their iPlay team, it's about bringing the world of physical play and digital together um, and deepening play patterns and increasing collectability and sales. For a, for a Nestle or a Beiersdorf in, say, CPG, you know, it's about creating a, a truly AR competency within the business you know, to empower all their brands and markets and internal teams. And, and say for Nestle, that's across you know, their different categories of cereals, coffees, pet foods, confectionery, um, and, and, and that's used both for enterprise and consumer use. And then you've got, as I said, kind of beyond advertising, there's great success in, in, in the use of conferences and events um, and, and learning and development for onboarding and supporting the disconnected workforce and sort of um, product visualization, remote assistance, even um, NPD. So you have, I guess it really does depend on, you know, the, the sector, the part of the organization you're working with and, and, and I guess the, you know, the KPIs um, around that particular project. And the nice thing about AR, I guess, is that that, that measurement 
um, can be seen in, in near real time on a data dashboard. So you can see the scans and the dwell times and activity and time of day, et cetera. And clearly we're now in sort of a GDPR world. So you have to be careful with, you know, personally identifiable information, but the information that you can get at your fingertips very quickly in places that tend to be data black holes. Um, so, you know, those key moments of assistance for, uh, for retail and, uh, and uh, CPG is point of consumption as well as point of purchase and, and, and how you can get greater richness from those is, is uh, I guess, one of the key benefits of, of AR. Yeah, the data's there. Maybe yeah. we can dive in just a, a little bit deeper into a couple of those examples. Like you talked about the 7-Eleven or the Tilly's examples where the goal is mm. to drive taps, trips, and transactions. Transactions, yeah. yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I think those are fascinating, and 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 the reason I think they they really should be seen as genuine sort of pioneers and thought leaders in it is is they have gone. This isn't just AR. This is a camera strategy. You know, this is something that just exists within our um, within part of our apps. Um, and, and again, I you know even with the move to sort of branded web AR, that's not to say it's the death of native apps. I actually think so. Those kind of loyalty rewards apps, you know, clearly have a role because they they offer a lot of value and benefit to users, and, and native apps can be very performance in that way. And so I guess you know, Seven Eleven. There was a brilliant first meeting. I, I forget the name of one of their sort of senior team, but they they had this wonderful approach, which was we're not trying to make a. a a minimum viable product, an MVP. We're trying to make a minimum delightful product to get going. And I, I think that sort of set the tone for everything from there, which was we know we're on a journey. We know this isn't just about trying to get everything aced on day one. We are going to sort of crawl, walk, run through this. But as an organization, we're looking at this as being something that, you know, can absolutely help get more um, rewards customers uh, into the app get them uh, engaging more often. If we can show to our franchisees that we can drive more visits from our users, then that's great for them. Uh, and and we know that those seven rewards users, you know, actually deliver greater lifetime value for the business. And so let's make sure that that's part of our program in terms of the seasonality of events that that, that they do around tentpole activations for, so to say, um, movies that they support around the summertime, so Deadpool and, and Detective Pikachu, but also um, their full football program and, and the work they do with the Dallas Cowboys. And in, in fact, you know, Dak Prescott as a, a brand ambassador, and then their promotional partners be those sort of Red Bull or Pepsi or Mondelez or whoever it might be, so that they can um, take advantage of the camera as part of those promotional campaigns to always deliver, you know, valuable seven rewards points um, and and other kind of coupons, etc. So make sure that, you know, that the behavior is understood that the more you engage, the more reward points that you get, that you can actually turn into tangible real world value in the in the in the items that you, you purchase. And I think that is absolutely a blueprint for how to think about AR more holistically within a business and and try and break the cycle, which we've seen, you know, we've seen some wonderful and amazing campaigns that many people have done in the industry, but, you know, where they are just one-off campaigns seems to be a missed opportunity, in my view, because having actually taught a consumer group about this behavior of, of, of scanning and, and using AR... Um, I think where the real benefit and certainly the amortization of that kind of cost comes is through continuing that relationship and understanding what's working well and, you know, taking that on. Whereas if it's just all siloed activity, you know, actually it doesn't necessarily sort of scale as well, I think. 
it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a ton of sense to me that you'd start with the existing passionate users who are part of the loyalty program, who've already downloaded the app, and you mm-hmm. leverage uh, that existing behavior to drive even deeper, more immersive behavior, I guess, from those users, More ultimately more trips and transactions. And then, as you noted, maybe web AR plays into building that initial awareness and drawing them, kind of leading them into that funnel. But the way that you're talking about how you are so integrated across all of the different touch points that this brand is already leveraging to kind of create the stories and to create the affinity within their, their user base or their customer base, how do you fit into that? Like, how does Zappar, is it you working with another ad agency? Do you go direct to that brand and work with them? How, how is the backend providers yeah. of all of these are working effectively together? Well, I think it's to the credit of people like Tilly's and 7-Eleven and, and others. I, I mean, it sounds so, uh, maybe so corny, but, you know, it is reliant on there being that sort of, you know, that key champion inside the business who sees the opportunity and can embrace it and bring the rest of the team along. I mean, in both those cases, I guess it has been more our direct relationship with those brands, but then, you know, where where required, you know, we're completely agnostic about who we work with and they have, they, you know, they obviously retain some fantastic agencies as well. And, and, and we really, do, again, because we come at this as, as both a platform and having a creative consultancy, we don't really mind how, how we as an organization work, work with anyone. It's just about what makes the best result. But, you know, Tilly's was certainly, you know, there was a great guy at the top of it who just took it, you know, uh, just saw the opportunity and kind of ran with it. And, you know, then hooked us up because, you know, basically what happens in those situations is we have a very, very light SDK. So that needs to be integrated into those apps, depending on who the app developer is, will kind of help with that integration. Uh, if then also we need to sort of help hook into their, their I guess, their loyalty IDs and their coupon redemption system, et cetera, we have to do kind of, there is some liaising there in terms of making sure that all those different systems and API calls, you know, talk correctly to each other, et cetera. So, you know, it is definitely something that is then requires a, a good sort of team structure to do it. But it definitely starts with the right person at the right level within an organization who can go, you know, we're going to do this. And, and I think this has been, this is one of the great things that is also sort of changing over the last 10 years is I think the idea of having a camera strategy has bubbled up to a leadership and sort of sea level. Um, and whereas before there's sort of, you know, AR was this sort of minister without portfolio of technologies where it was sort of interesting to everyone, but no one's responsibility. Now there are kind of champions behind it who are then kind of leading that charge within an organization because you have to operationally align everyone um, uh, in order to really deliver it as best it, uh, as best it can. So yeah, I think, it, I think it starts with some really enlightened individuals who believe in the power of what it can achieve. Yeah. Just n- another reminder that companies are not this anonymous behemoth things. They are fundamentally groups of people generally moving in a similar-ish direction. And ultimately, if you can find the right person and uh, get that conversation going, get the right sort of, find the right person, I guess, with the right motivation to to carry you into that and make something successful, that's really the key. That's it. And it does tend to be with, let's, you know, let's understand the ambition. Let's make sure we create the right framework for success. But let's start with, you you know, a project. But going into that project, knowing that you're setting it up for success and that you're already thinking about the next projects and just wanting to take the learnings forward. Because, you know, as always, nothing's perfect. Um, There's always ways that things can be improved and there's always lessons and different organizations work different ways. And, you know, there are a lot of moving parts to making 
AR work really well. I mean, we often talk, in fact, have latterly talked about this idea of the three C's for success um, for AR. Um, I've actually now revised that recently to now make it five C's <laughs> actually with, with um, branded web AR come through. So it used to be all about the, uh, the context, the call to action and the content. None of those issues have anything to do with the technology itself per se. And the context is really about, you know, what, who is that target audience? What device do they have? And what is happening in that moment that we're asking them to point their device at something? in order to take participate in this experience. Now, we've added a step before call to action now, which is also control. You know, um, controlling that context is, is so important um, to get the best user experience. And that's about understanding what's going on with the, the environment and the lighting and the sound and the, um, the thing that people are pointing their phone at if it's not a location. You know, is it, if it's on a bottle, how curved is it? You know, um, if it's on a magazine, how shiny is it? You know, all these things have a bearing on how good that first experience is going to be. So sort of controlling that environment is, 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 is important, or at least understanding how you can control it. And the call to action, clearly, if you, if you don't tell people super clearly what it is they're meant to do and what they're going to get for bothering, you know, your numbers are going to suffer because most people aren't familiar with this stuff and you do need to walk them through it really clearly. And what we've discovered is if you put that call to action any distance away from the thing that you're asking them to scan, your numbers will suffer as well. So that is to say, you know, putting it on a piece of point of sale when you're asking people to scan a product that distance alone will already have a negative impact on the amount of you know engagements you're going to get. Then you have the content. Clearly, you know, it sounds so obvious, but unless the content is really um, valuable to users or something, you know, uh, isn't something they could have just got if they went to, to YouTube, for instance, then then why have you taken them through that journey? And then the last kind of C that we've added is is communication. You know, which is great. You've done all that, but if you have got other channels that you own through social and PR, etc., then Talk about it, you know, help people understand that this new, you know, kind of AR superpower exists and help them understand how to do it. Because people are, you know, most people are on still, this is their first time on this journey. And so that framework becomes just super important for, for, for thinking about and executing well. Uh, and again, it's, it's not about the technology. It is all about, you know, the group of people that can mean that this work works. And when you're doing that, Globally, or doing it at a mass market level, you know, a lot of that is dependent on people. You know, whether that's actually putting up the retail sort of point of sale, or it is kind of you know making sure that the way the call to action works and all the print is done properly. Is you know, these are all important things that require a, a lot of different people within the team. That's great. So you got context, control, call to action, content, and communication. Those are your five C's. That's it. Yeah. Very cool. Maybe you can take a bit of a broader perspective. And as we maybe look ahead over the next three to five years, what do you think from a technology perspective, what are the AR technologies that are going to be most important to kind of solve the sorts of problems you're solving today? Yeah, that's interesting. It's always hard, the future gazing thing. I think partly because, and I have to really hold my hand up here, is that, you know, I am not the, you know, the the CTO and R&D officer, you know, kind of futurist in our business. So I can talk broadly to this, but I don't profess to be an expert. <laughs> but we can clearly see that, you know, there are some things that are, are interesting that are, are on 
are on the horizon. Um, you know, there's been much talk about 5G. Um, you know, as I sit here in our office in London, I still struggle to get a 4G connection and make a phone call with people. So I, I still have <laughs> certain reservations about how great 5G will be. But let's believe that you know everything that is um, written in the in the well-crafted releases is, is all true. Clearly, that performance it was going to really, really help with kind of how AR can be delivered without any friction and with the best possible user experience. I think, you know, there's clearly some really great strides being made around sort of volumetric capture as well. And, you know, again, uh, hats off to the work that people at Microsoft are doing around that. And I think you know, those sorts of experience combined with 5G become very uh, interesting. We've been doing some work with a, another really great new company called Darabase um, who are looking at sort of permission layers um, for location-based experiences, which is quite an interesting sort of uh, topic, I think, and uh, an interesting sort of in the, the legalese of, you know, who owns the fourth dimension if you are, you know, Starbucks and what information should be allowed to be outside your coffee shop. You know, could that really be something from a rival brand or how do you own and uh, look at that space? I think that stuff's really, really interesting. You know, there's loads of stuff around kind of point clouds and stuff that I don't feel like I'm uh, the expert to, to talk about. And then there's, you know, what I think has already brilliantly been dubbed the sort of the face race you know, and when will Apple glasses appear and, and you know, uh, will Google be back on that uh, track? And, you know, uh, what was, what's Facebook's response to all that, which I think is uh, super interesting, um, still feels like that is, you know, much further out than uh, at a mass market level than, than everyone probably thinks at the moment. And then there's, you know, hype around gesture control and better occlusion and better location mapping and, you know, what depth cameras do and all that sort of stuff. And I think the thing about all of that is you can get really lost in it. And I think it comes back to what we've learned over the last 10 years. There's always been a brilliant thing just around the corner or just launched. Um, and it's so easy to get caught up in that. But really, you know, the reality is it's, it's about the tools and better content, I think, rather than the technology itself, because, you know, it's really good on a lot of devices already and, and we're just not using it all right now. So that democratization for, for more developers and designers to have better tools um, to, to make this content, I think is the really interesting and exciting bit. And, and I do think it is a golden age now for agencies to, to really kind of get involved in this stuff. Um, I think you also then need to take a, a kind of a much more global view on devices. You know, again, I think we can really get caught up in our sort of Western view of, of, of which devices people have in their hands. Um, and those do take a little while to trickle through if you are running campaigns across LATAM and India and Asia Pac, et cetera. And, and, you know, kind of keep on sort of sense checking yourself on that iOS Android spit and what that looks like in different markets, I think is also really important because otherwise you get too excited about the new technology and kind of forget what actually, you know, the devices and the audience that you're building content for. So I think to a degree, you know, it doesn't sound like really answering your question, but <laughs> I kind of don't get too caught up in all the new technologies um, and think more about how how do we create permanence and sort of everyday behaviors and everyday utility for the use of camera and, 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 and what spatial computing means there. And I guess that sort of seems to me that, you know, where again, people like Google and Google Lens are, are playing a bigger and bigger role, which is just actually how do we make that ability to, to scan the world better and more performance and and deliver the right results more often and you need people like google in the ecosystem to make that happen because that costs a lot of money investment to get it right so i think that 
that sort of stuff I find exciting. Yeah. To go back to this notion that maybe these the cutting edge technology is not nearly as important for what you're doing, while it's exciting and it overall pulls pushes everything yeah. forward. It's really about the basic elements of building awareness and creating this sort of experience and enabling users yeah. to more deeply engage with these the brands and the stories they're trying to tell. What that should, is it. Yeah. yeah. Well, what did you take on the importance of the web AR? You'd mentioned a little bit earlier, but mm. web AR versus creating AR experiences within apps. I think it's a, a massive step, sort of fundamentally huge, actually, because I think, well, we, we certainly know that, again, over the last 10 years, we've had been in some incredible meetings with, you know, different types of clients that get hugely excited about what they could potentially do with AR. And then you get to the, and, you know, you need a native app and they're like, uh, okay, well, you know, I don't know if I, if I am a, a detergent, do I, is anyone really going to download my detergent app? in order to scan this? And the answer is quite rightly, no, they won't. Um, so, you know, native apps absolutely have a place for the right brands with the right audience, with the right context. You know, very true of, say, sports, you know, marketing franchises. You know, we've got, like, as you say, engaged fans, so right for 7-Eleven, et cetera. And clearly native apps can do things performantly in a way that currently mobile web AR in browsers can't, although, you know, it's, it's, it's improving uh, rapidly. So what mobile web AR brings is to a lot of those, say, CPG category partners, suddenly that just blows the doors open because they're not, they don't have to rely on the work that they could do, say, in Snap or, or Facebook or Instagram. They can actually use the browser as a distribution channel to everyone who's got access to a browser, <laughs> which is a lot of people. Um, uh, so, so it fundamentally shifts the way that you know um, brands can have a conversation with people, um, or certain brands, in, in a way that doesn't have that friction of having see friction of having to go to download an app and probably doesn't require it. So that's all good. However, as with all these things, it does come with some kind of watchouts. We're, I guess, we've been fortunate that, that that Zapper has always been built, you know, with mobile first, and actually always with kind of web technologies in mind. So. You know, our runtime actually works particularly well um, uh, across devices. However, there's still certain browser elements that right now we have to be conscious of. You know, not very easy to do sort of video recording um, in <laughs> in the browser. You know, the way that you can save and share on, on iOS is a bit challenging because of the way permissions are set up. You know, so there's a, a few things that you have to kind of think about that mean that they it, it isn't a like-for-like comparison with doing AR in a native app. Uh, another one would be you know, AR kit and AR core aren't supported by sort of browsers at the moment. So we have to, we create our own sort of workarounds for that to, to create sort of um, uh, world-tracked experiences in, in mobile web AR. So, so there are things that you have to think about. Um, and I guess that's the other important thing is really for our sector is, is just not to oversell and overpromise. Um, there are definitely great things that you can do right now with, with mobile web AR. And we've been fortunate to do that already with Coca-Cola and Kellogg's and Danone and, you know, uh, and others, which is great. Um, and again, they are sort of being pioneers in this space, but you've got to go back to those five C's, really work through it, be aware of the things that work well and what don't. But, you know, to your, to your earlier point, you know, I still think that for most people, and it sounds daft, but, you know, that, really simple, almost Harry Potter-like video coming to life on a page 
makes people's faces light up. <laughs> and that sounds crazy because that's clearly, that's been something that everyone can do literally for the last 10 years. It still has that magical effect on people. And, and so I don't think you have to be pushing the envelope too hard on the technology to, to create experiences that are meaningful to people and, you know, deliver, you know, a great brand experience and some, you know, follow on action. Yeah, it, it really fundamentally comes down to those the goal, right? And working through those mm. five C's, as you noted, to achieve that goal. Are you on the technology side? Are you rolling your own web AR or are you using eighth walls? Yes. No, 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 no. We, we use all our own. And I think it's great to see eighth wall come along as well. You know, I mean, one thing that our sector needs is, you know, more people in it. You know, because there's, there's, this journey has only just started. Yeah. But yes, we have our, you know, our, our own runtime that runs in mobile, uh, where they are, you know, on Zapworks, you know, you can create content once across iOS and Android, which is great. And it's all sort of we, within Zapworks itself, you know, there's the serving hosting provision and the data analytics. So everything works exactly the same way that it does in a native app. And I think that's the thing. We, what we want to make sure is that there is no second class citizen, you know, um, that actually what you uh, produce can work across both if you want you don't have to make that choice and so you know that means we can also support our, our own face tracking um, in mobile web and kind of all the underlying sort of kind of state-of-the-art computer vision that we have there for you know image tracking and code tracking and face tracking etc so yeah it's uh it's all part of the proprietary platform so as you look ahead what is it about the evolution of the industry the other players that are coming into the industry that makes you the most nervous? I, I, do you know what? That's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure it's about sort of nervousness, to be honest. I, I think there is a challenge that I think the way that both Apple and Google are thinking about XR is perhaps diverging more than it's converging, which I guess at a total industry level makes life uh, you know, a bit more challenging for developers. I guess for us, kind of presents an opportunity of how do we bring bring that together so i think you know that th there's always i think a, a risk for any new sector in technology with such big behemoths like uh, google and facebook and snap and apple uh, that you know to see what they may or may not do in the future and, and you know what permissions they may grant but i think we can't that's true it's sort of an existential threat to a degree I think it goes back to the you know the other thing that makes me nervous, frankly, is is that constant talk of the future rather than the pre present, <laughs> and sort of clickbait over kind of consumer uh, and perhaps you know the always the danger at the start. Well, it's not really the start, but in this kind of next period of growth of poor execution and that sort of I, I hate it when I hear that you know you might speak to some new partners coming in, you go oh yeah we tried AR it didn't work you go well. <laughs> What does that mean? Let's unpick that. You know, what didn't work? Let's go back to the five C's and understand it. Um, so I think the nervousness is more about, you know, how do we not get people too caught up in the hype? How do we kind of make sure that we build the fundamentals properly? And how do we kind of, you know, make sure that there isn't a sort of a, a dislocation of, of strategies between, you know, uh, uh, some of the bigger players in here? And how, how can we help bring that all together? In what ways are Apple and Google being divergent? What do you think is the biggest risk with their behavior? I think, you know, clearly Apple, um, I can't speak speak for their strategy, but they, you know, there, there are clearly huge benefits for them being a, a closed ecosystem for developers. But that is a very different world to, 
you know, clearly where Google um, and, and where Android are he- heading. And so you can see it even in the, I guess, the execution of, say, something like ARKit versus ARCore. So that does make some challenges for, for any developer to go, well, you know, I want to make this content, but how can I make it as consistent across those different devices? Because my, my audience, you know, we don't necessarily look at them as, you know, we look at them as smartphone users. We can understand what they use, but we want the experience to be the same across both. So how do we make sure that, that, that we can do that? And so I think it's that sort of, again, that sense of, you know, what does... How should permissions be handled? You know, in 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 browsers. You know, how do we make that consistent? All those things that are hard to manage when you have two very different players taking different approaches. Yeah, maybe we can take a step back for a moment, explore the entrepreneurial journey that you've had with Zapper. As you noted, you started very early days from a technology perspective. It's very early days from a market understanding perspective. You spent a bunch of time educating, and you knew going in that it was going to be much more of a marathon. So mm. what have been, kind of what has been your approach? What have been some of the challenges that you've faced as you've tried to raise money and sustain the team while really being on the bleeding edge of what's possible with the technology? I wouldn't be saying anything particularly revelatory to say that, you know, raising money is a pretty huge time sink and balancing that whilst also growing the business is, is challenging. And I think one of the things you also have to develop an acute sort of understanding of is that is the real intent behind questions <laughs> that you get from would-be investors and sort of attuning your ear to listen in a, in a specific way. And I can only really liken it to sort of, you know, speaking with lawyers, if you liked, and, and the fact that you ask the right question, you won't get the, the answer you really need. <laughs> it's almost the reverse of that. Um, so we were pretty fortunate, actually, to have a great first in, in, investor come in, a firm called Coop Capital, and uh, and they helped us with our sort of Series A, and, and they were invaluable. And, and we were then even more fortunate to have the right mix of both institutional and strategic investors who believed in our long-term vision and you know weren't necessarily looking for a quick return. And I think because we've always taken an approach of capital efficiency in our business, and we wanted to make sure that our project work could help fund our investment in, in platform and, and people, and that it was important for us to remain cash positive and prove the business case for AR from day one, that has required a sort of a, a more patient and considered approach, maybe, um, than raising tons of money and making a big noise with kind of crazy valuations and <laughs> piling on debt. Um, so I guess the challenge is the sort of crazy expectations in the market, and indeed also some of the salaries and, and, and packages being offered, you know, by some of the bigger companies. And how then, you know, do you get the right team in place, and how do you raise money but do it in a way that you know isn't going to that that makes a viable business. Um, so the challenge has always been, you know, how do you attract great people? And you have to do that in a way uh, with people who kind of believe in the, the purpose and, and our product and our mission, because, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we can be the highest payers versus other people out there. So that's not easy. Um, and we don't always get it right. And we've certainly learned uh, lots along the way. Um, but I guess as, as many things in life, you learn more from the difficult times um, than necessarily the good times. And and it's so much about team. I mean, it's so little about me. Uh, this is all about, you know, being so fortunate to have, when we started, to have these four founders, all who had very different skill sets and all who, you know, uh, always come together and can have the difficult conversations and, I guess, look to each other's different areas of expertise to, to make, make the right decisions. Um, but it's tough, you know, it's it, it definitely... I think anyone will say it, you know, or anyone who does say it's easy, I'd love to hear their their view on it because it's a constant sort of learning curve, really. Isn't that the truth? 
Isn't that the truth? Let's wrap up with a few enlightening round questions. Okay. What commonly held belief about spatial computing do you disagree with? <laughs> um, well, every analyst report I, I see about the sort of the telephone numbers that it's going to generate in the next five years, I would say. <laughs> you know, AI is clearly going to grow for sure, but putting overhyped expectations around it probably serves no one um, would probably be how I'd answer that. <laughs> yeah. There's some very ambitious numbers being projected that are always just around the corner. I still think we have a, a ways to go there. Besides the one you're building, what tool or service do you wish existed in the AR market? The tool that made people think about AR at the start of the planning process and not the end, uh, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, the tool that blocks RFPs, that would be a cool tool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I genuinely don't believe um, that those sorts of processes are in the best interests of, of clients or service providers. You know, AR genuinely requires a, a conversation. You know, so I, I think, I know those aren't, those, seem, those are clearly made up tools, but that it's, I think that's the most important thing. I wish a, a different start point existed, which wasn't, we'd like to do AR and was more, we'd like to uh, understand um, our camera strategy and what the camera can mean for our business and for our users. Yeah. Do you find then that the vast majority of the opportunities that you're responding to are really coming at it from technology first approach as opposed to a, a learning or a experience first approach? Yeah, I think that's right. I, th I, I, I think it's, you know, it certainly has been through a, a period, um, well, at the start, you know, and again, another thing I've probably said too often, but, you know, when we started, it was, it was a lot about uh, educating people about what AR is and, and increasingly it's about educating people about what AR isn't because there's just so much confusion in the market. And so I think you're right. It's, it's what are we actually trying to achieve? Almost classic marketing 101 and, and sort of business 101, isn't it? Is you know, what is the result that we want? And actually, is AR of the many technologies that we could use the right one? So yeah, I, I think a better understanding of what is the question and the problem or the, or the opportunity that we're trying to uh, lean into and, and, and uh, is this the right technology after it's the right approach. Yeah. What book have you read recently that you found to be deeply insightful or profound? I read American Dirt last week um, on the on a flight over to the to the US. Uh, it was brilliant because when I got off the plane, um, some great lady behind me um, went, "Oh, I just saw that you were reading that book. Oh, it's got loads of controversy. It's just been you know uh, taken off um, Oprah's book tour, uh, which I didn't know I hadn't really understood at that point. Uh, and, and I guess it's." Uh, you know, it's a book about the plight of migrants, I guess, and entering the US and, and the stories from, you know, the real lives of, of, of those people. I say real, it's fiction. <laughs> but I thought it was, I forget the name of the author, which is terrible, but it was, I thought it was brilliantly well written and just kind of did make you think differently about the people involved in that, not just the statistics. Yeah, I love stories like that. Enables you, propels you to think differently after having finished read it. That's always a great book. Definitely one that sticks with you for sure. Yeah. If you could sit down and have coffee with your 25-year-old self, what advice would you share with 25-year-old Casper? <laughs> well, I should say that I was 46 yesterday, so we're going back a bit now. Um, probably, firstly, I'd say don't drink as much coffee as I do because it definitely will make you skittish. I'd say uh, apologies, you're about to lose all your hair because I think I did around that point in time. I think I'd definitely say business is all about people. You know, find people you admire and trust with skill sets that you don't possess uh, and do business with them. Find a great lawyer and accountant 
it's hard to start a business without them. And uh, probably remember to spend more time with your family, actually. You know, certainly the one thing about if you're going to go and start your own business is it's, it is a, uh, it is a, they are as much part of that as you are. <laughs> so, you know, try and get that balance right. Oh, and I'd probably say, I mean, if we're talking, you know, 25 year old self or, or, you know, whatever that is, 20 odd years ago, I'd probably say quickly go and invest in Apple, Microsoft and Amazon. Uh, and then just keep that stock for the next 20 years because you will be very happy at the end. Be very happy at the end. <laughs> Would you still be motivated to go and start the company? Even more motivated, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to do any job where you get up in the morning and you're excited about going to work. And, and I, you know, for 99% of the world's population, I don't think they necessarily have that. So I don't ever you know, underestimate the incredible privilege that, that, that we have in doing these things. Uh, and, you know, clearly we all have bad days and, you know, bad meetings and, you know, things go wrong. But in the general scheme of things, you've got to put it all into perspective, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share? Not really. I mean, I, 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 you know, I think to wrap it up, it, I would definitely say I'm excited about getting to a stage where we think camera, not AR, um, where we think about always on, not just campaigns, where it's not just about external communication but internal use for L&D. I absolutely you know, fundamentally believe that you know, connected packaging is, is something that is going to happen and we're going to see more of because why wouldn't you use your passive print as a digital portal? And I'd say, you know, build the competency in your business now, you know, crawl, walk, run. Uh, I, I, I don't think this is something that is going to go away and I do think there is a benefit to, to understanding it better and learning over time. Yeah. It's going to be here with us for a long time. We're still at the very, very, very early stages. Yeah. Where can people go to learn more about you and your efforts there at Zapper? Uh, what a wonderful question. <laughs> well, there's obviously our website. I mean, there's, you know, zapper.com uh, will sort of uh, house a lot of the information. There's also uh, zap.works for Zapworks, our content authoring and publishing tool, you know, where anyone can start a free trial. Oh, do you know what? Email me. That's the other one. So Caspar with an A at Zappar with an A dot com. Brilliant. Casper, thanks so much for this conversation. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Before you go, I want to tell you about the next episode. In it, I speak with Avi Barzev. Avi has been a pioneer, architect, and advisor in spatial computing for nearly 30 years, both behind the scenes at the world's largest tech companies and in the industry at large. He has been instrumental in the early stages of development for Microsoft's HoloLens, Amazon's Echo Frames, and whatever it is that Apple is developing. In this conversation, Avi shares stories from his early career, including the work he did in the 1990s for Disney on Aladdin's Magic Carpet VR ride. We talk about the origins of the HoloLens, his work at Amazon, and his perspective on Apple and a few of the other major players focused on AR. He shares why he is enthusiastic about AR glasses, where he wants the industry to invest, and some of the potential hazards in front of us. This is an excellent conversation that I think you'll really enjoy. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss this or other great episodes. Until next time.